0: Almighty God, bless your word, we pray, to our hearts this evening, and guide us throughout this Lenten season as we learn more about your forgiveness of humanity and our sharing of that gift with all. In Jesus' name, amen. On the back of your bulletin, you'll see a picture of a bowl. It is an example of a Japanese art known as kintsugi uh, kintsugi means literally as I understand gold repair or gold joining kin is gold, sugi is to repair or to join together and it is a legitimate art form in Japan and it is uh, applied To broken pieces of pottery so you have uh, glue and mixed with gold dust or it could be platinum dust or silver dust and you put the pieces back together into something that is supposed to be and and is reputed to be even more valuable maybe with the gold and more beautiful than before And when i heard that it was more beautiful than before i looked i looked at some of the pictures and i thought really really is it now the gold is not there to cover up the cracks the gold is there to highlight the cracks and so kintsugi is not a rejection of what is flawed it's not a rejection of what's imperfect rather it is an acceptance of what is flawed it's an acceptance of what is imperfect and I think it serves as a good metaphor of life and relationships because life in a fallen world is flawed and imperfect as well you know we live in a throwaway culture And we talked about this several weeks ago in a sermon, that today products are made not to be repaired, but to be replaced. It's hard to repair electronic components today. It's hard to repair your own car. You're not intended to do it, at least according to the manufacturer. They don't want you messing with it. They treat it like it's their own property, even though you paid for it. Well, that's another subject, but my point is simply this. Repair is a thing of the past. And we end up treating relationships no different. It's more convenient from our point of view to simply discard a troubled relationship and walk away than it is to work on any idea of repair. That intimidates us people today want relationships without flaws without any stumbles but that's impossible in a fallen world as we've said before and I've said many times conflict is inevitable in any relationship whether it's in marriage family work school if you know someone long enough you work with them long enough there's going to be some friction You know that from experience. And God's word reinforces the same. People want relationships without flaws, without stumbles. And so when the stumble occurs, and it will, we run, we flee. It is relational juvenility. So this idea that the bold is more beautiful than before, I I found that hard to swallow. But then I thought about our Savior. Let me ask you this question, because this is the question I put to myself. Which is more beautiful, a Savior with wounds or a Savior without wounds? Which is more beautiful? If you're a sinner... And you will acknowledge it the same. Which is more beautiful? A Savior with wounds in his hands and feet and his side? Or a Savior without? Well, there is no Savior without wounds. Every sinner should know that. The beautiful Savior is the one who hangs on the cross for you and for me and for the world. No one's excluded from that work. And just as a Christ with wounds is more beautiful than one without, so a relationship that has suffered damage but has been restored through the gift of forgiveness, that relationship is more beautiful than that which has never been tested. And if you think of the Kintsugi bowl as a relationship and you look at the golden lines in the bowl holding the pieces together, if that represents a relationship that's been restored through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, then it is more beautiful than a relationship that's never been tested. Roman number 1, in your sermon outline, page 11. Unforgiveness occurs when we refuse to forgive or we feel we are unable to forgive. Now, if you refuse to forgive, I don't sympathize with that at all. If you are unable, if you feel unable to forgive, I do sympathize with that. We're all there at times. But the end result is the same. Our Lord said in the Sermon on the Mount that if you do not forgive, you will not be forgiven. To refuse to forgive is to reject the forgiveness you have been given. It is a denial of what Christ has done. Because what he did was not just for you alone. It was for all. And that includes your offender. Letter A, we get stuck in the loop of replaying the offense over and over. It's like a vinyl record. And, uh, you know, I can remember vinyl. And, uh, by the way, vinyl's coming back. People are buying turntables. They're buying vinyl records. And if you're familiar with vinyl at all, you may recall that sometimes there may be a flaw in a certain groove on that record, on that album. Maybe it's a dust particle, maybe it's, maybe it's a, an actual flaw in the vinyl itself. And so the tone arm, which has the needle, will skip and stay in that groove, and it'll play that same groove over and over and over again. And that's what you and I do in our minds when we recall the offense, we replay the loop. That's what we do. We relive it. It's that painful. We just can't let it go. It, needs, it, ba- it cries out for resolution that's not happening. It cries out for reconciliation that's not going to happen. It's not going to occur because we run away from such things. By nature, we run away from such things. And so point number one, A1, as the event repeats in our minds, huh, some details get Rewritten. They get rewritten. We project, especially this is true, when we divorce ourselves from the offender, we begin to project onto the offender our own anger, our own hate. And so we we create somebody who's really worth hating in our minds, now, if you encounter them at Walmart or some other place, and you run into them at church, you have a conversation, that really helps because you begin to realize you, you're confronting reality that this guy's not so bad after all. But as long as you stay away from him, it's our nature to imagine the worst. And we do. And so point number two, our remembrance of the event becomes worse in order to justify our anger. It's like a descending spiral. We keep our distance. We begin to imagine the worst. We begin to become more angry. So we really keep our distance. We imagine the worst. And we become more angry. And we have to justify the anger by projecting even more hatred on the other person. So letter B, unforgiveness, you've heard this before, unforgiveness is a poison we ingest hoping the other person will die. We withhold forgiveness as a form of punishment because we want justice. We want the wrong to be righted. And we're the ones to do it, right? <laughs> No, wrong. Uh, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. But we want justice. So we withhold forgiveness to hurt the other person. But who are we really hurting? To some degree, the other person, yes. But to a greater degree, what's going on in here or in here is far worse. Probably worse than the original offense whatever it was real or imagined let us see unforgiveness is the work of the old self the old self from our epistle is that that is to say the sinful nature the nature we're born with that runs from god and runs from our neighbor so you see this in ephesians 4 put off this is baptismal talk by the way It's talking about taking off the old clothing and putting on new clothing. That would happen in baptism. In the early church, people were baptized naked. The old clothing came off. Water was poured over the individual. And a new white garment was placed on them. So put off your old self, your old suit of clothes. Which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. That's what we've been talking about. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, to put on the new self, there's the new garment. That is Christ in you, the new nature that agrees with God, that does the will of God. The old self never does the will of God, it rebels constantly. The new self, the opposite. Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So, unforgiveness is the work of the old self. It's not the work of the Spirit. It's not the work of the new nature. It's not the work of Christ in you. That's for sure. So, Roman numeral two forgiveness is is first and foremost release from a debt, it's release from an obligation. But it's not only that. For our purposes this evening, it is also a decision or a choice. It's not based on feeling. If you say, well, I'll forgive when I feel like it, you're going to have a long wait. It is a decision or a choice in which we no longer view the offender as our enemy, but as a fellow sinner a fellow sinner i emphasize fellow for whom christ has died you make the decision to forgive the new nature in christ does that and when you do it the feelings begin to come the feelings follow the fact of forgiveness not the other way around But seeing him as a fellow sinner is key. As I said before, it is the reluctance to forgive that becomes an even greater sin than the original offense, whatever it was. So we're talking about fellow sinners, such as we are. Instead of, letter A, instead of judging and condemning, we freely give up the desire... We give up the desire to be angry, bitter, full of rage, hateful, slanderous, and murderous. Ephesians 4.31. And letter B, we set aside the desire, or give up the desire, we set it aside, to recall another's sin and use it against him. It's a good exercise in self-discipline. The refusal to bring up the matter again. That's what forgiveness means. We'll talk later about forgiving and forgetting. But it basically means this. I won't bring it up. It's not that I have amnesia it's not that the thought of the offense doesn't ever occur to me. It does. I know it happened. I, I, I can't forget it. But I won't recall it to you or to anyone else. That is forgiveness. And let her see we offer the same love God has given to us. Ephesians 4.32 Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Well, that sounds well and good, but how do you do it? Be kind to one another, tender-hearted. How do you do that? Forgiving one another. Well, how do you do that? As God in Christ forgave you. That's how you do that. The reluctance to forgive unforgiveness in other words is a result of forgetting how much you've been forgiven it's that simple when you understand and no one knows better than you your own sinfulness and when you acknowledge it and compare it to the offense the offense pales in comparison When you realize how much you've been forgiven, you cannot help but to do the same. And until you realize how much you've been forgiven, you cannot do the same. We offer the same love God has given to us. God did not wait until you and I changed to forgive us. He went to the cross 2,000 years ago without our believing or doing anything. He not only made the first move, he did all the work. And our response is to do the same. To treat others as he has treated us in mercy. That's the natural response to such grace. So letter D, forgiveness is a divine act. It is the work of the new self. In verse 24, put on the new self, that's Christ in you, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. It is a divine act. Forgiveness is not normal. Unforgiveness is normal. Unforgiveness is what our human nature dictates to us. Forgiveness is what the new nature dictates Invites us to share with one another. What the old self could never do, the new self in Christ will do. Christ in you gladly and willingly forgives, like pottery that has been broken and restored. Christ in you takes your broken relationship and restores it into a work of art. Christ in you takes a broken relationship and restores it into a mature relationship. I like to think we deal with reality here. Life in a fallen world is flawed and God knows it. Someday, on the last day, those fractures will disappear, but the wounds of Jesus never will. They will serve to all of us as a constant reminder of the love we have received. There is relational juvenility which flees reconciliation. And there is relational maturity, which understands this is a fallen world. Relationships experience friction and flaws. But the Lord heals. That's the good news. And we will spend the next five Wednesday evenings delving deeper into that reality. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.